Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching baseball, softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. As we welcome you into another edition, a brand new episode, episode 27, getting comfortable with failure. We were very excited to talk about this topic last week, and here we are this week now. We've got a lot to get into, so let me bring in my friend, co-host, softball national champion at the University of Alabama, and of course, she is a current day renowned coach, and she is doing the episode today standing up like me, so we are mano y mano today, Cassie riley Bosha. How are things in the Northeast? And we're just talking off air, you know, about how one of my favorite things, living in the Northeast, getting ready for the season in January, early February, when you're at the batting cage, you're at a facility with a lot of other like-minded baseball and softball players getting ready for the season as well. It's like a weird camaraderie mm -hmm. that you feel in that moment when it's really cold and blustery outside. There's a, there's definitely a certain buzz, a certain energy that, you know, and I think too, it's like this common, like, yeah, this sucks, but at least we're in it together type thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're all in this, uh, we're all in this together here. Um, so getting comfortable with failure. And last week, we did talk episode 26, training um, with intention. So go back and listen to that episodes in the archives. You can watch the show too, Softball Strength Academy YouTube page. A couple of things, though, I didn't get to, and I want to kind of just touch on really quick. Actually, one thing, when it comes to training with intention, lifting and training with intention, how do you do such and how do you avoid that burnout in the weight room when it comes to lifting and training really with that intention away from the field? It could be off season, in season, whatever the case. I think there's a common misconception that intention has to mean um, over depleting yourself all the time, right? Intention yeah. could just be that you have a focused centered goal and that you are giving, um, you are con continuing to do everything with that focus. And I think of it too, like, there was a book that came out uh, by John Gordon called The One Word. And it was when you start a year, you pick one word and you try to apply everything everything you do to that word. So, you know, if your word was focus, then it's when you're driving, when you're doing homework, when you're doing whatever, you have the intention of focusing as you're doing it. I think mm -hmm. when we're in the weight room, people think like, well, I need to crush myself every single day. I need to overexert myself all the time. And that's not really necessarily training. You know, yes, you, you know, if that, I guess, was your focus, then I guess you're training with the intention of crushing yourself, but that's not productive. And and when we have a productive focus, we can train with that intention in mind. Yeah. So again, go back and listen to that episode, episode 26. It was a really good one. Abundance of information last week, training with intention. We get into today's episode, episode 27, getting comfortable with failure. And again, subscribe, Apple, Google, Spotify, our new episodes every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on the audio side and, of course, on YouTube, Softball Strength Academy to watch us do the show today. And you'll see in the background that Cassie's in an office, not hmm. in her usual place of recording. And I, what's that <laughs> sign say behind you? It was against us oh, against it, the world. It was, uh, right? so this is, Phil, I guess that's right. It was Phil Knight um, from the uh, book Shoe Dog. It said it was us against the yeah. world and we felt damn sorry for the world. And uh, as a gift, one of our employees back in 2015 got that made up for my partner and I, um, because we kind of had that bulldog mentality. We we're trying to, it was almost, you know, he was referencing Phil Knight was referencing this naiveness of when he first started get going where you're like, you know, you don't know how hard things are going to be maybe. And so you just think you can take on the world type thing. So we have that. I like <laughs> it. Maybe that should be part of that should be like our show, our, our show theme. <laughs> we feel damn sorry for the world. <laughs> we put this out. Every, we feel damn sorry for that, for the world, putting this out every week. 
Um, I get, of course, a segment uh, in this sex, sex, uh, this next segment. I do want to talk about um, something I found online when preparing for today's show. And this comes to us from athletesunheard.com. And I'm just kind of going through and looking for ways that we can talk about getting comfortable with failure. And there are three things listed that athletes can take away from failure. And we'll start first, the three things, resilience and toughness, reassessment and feedback, and a pathway to success. We'll start with the first one, resilience and toughness, how failure can provide that resilience and toughness for an athlete going forward. Sure. And I, I think that's a, a great outline and a great definite or kind of uh, segment to say, hey, there is a path of dealing with failure. It's not just this burden. Um, but I think, you know, there is something to saying it's good to do things that are hard. It's good to put yourself in positions of, hey, I'm going to go try to maybe, you know, after I've trained for a while, maybe max out this lift and, under correct supervision and all that, because even though that's hard, there's a chance of failure. I, the, the pursuit of that effort in doing something hard is what matters. And mm -hmm. when you set yourself up in positions of doing something difficult, doing something that you're failing at, when you do fail over and over again at something, there's so much value that comes out of that. Um, and I think, you know, that's something people really fear. People think like, hey, success is just doing great all the time, but it's really failing a, a heck of a lot more than it is succeeding. Right. And taking that mindset of, hey, maybe not so much I failed, but learning from those type of mistakes that you made. I mean, because I don't know, I guess failure happens all the time, even when you're in the cage. You know, if you have a goal, for example, to hit 10 line drives back up the middle before you move to the next phase of your training. I was just talking about this with Jake last week on the lab Epstein hitting podcast. If you fail at that, you can't move on to the next goal, but you don't always look at it as failure. You say, oh, well, you didn't hit the 10 line drives. Now let's tr start over reset and let's try to hit those 10 line drives right back up the middle from the length of the cage. Sure. And I, I you know, I think we've talked about some previous episodes is, is it really failure if we are learning from it? You know, if is, is it really mm -hmm. failure if we reposition it to something that can really benefit us? It's essentially like, you know, we sought out to do something and now we're having a hard time accomplishing it. And that's a good thing. That means it's hard and that means it's worth our while. And then us as coaches and, and parents, we need to decide, okay, what is too far out of reach where it becomes impossible for the athlete and we discourage the athlete, right? That learned yeah. failure that you know, um, becomes an issue or where can we find the sweet spot of, find, of making something challenging and difficult and uncomfortable to achieve, but it's not so easy that they're achieving it all the time. Yeah. And talking about reassessment and feedback, as we're discussing today, episode 27, getting comfortable with failure. And when you're talking about discussing reassessment and feedback from failure, what's the proper approach? What's the way to go about that? And not so much demoralizing the athlete, but giving them good feedback that they can take away from and move to the next phase of their training, hitting, whatever. Sure. Uh, so I think of this in two ways. I think about um, first thing that comes to mind is a physical thing, right? Mm -hmm. We have an athlete who is falling forward in their swing um, and we're going to do something called feed the error, make the failure seem really loud in their head. And, and so they're falling forward in their swing and I'm going to put them on a wedge that sends them even faster downhill. And they're like, why are you doing this? I'm already falling forward. And my explanation is I'm going to make this failure really obvious to you. I'm going to make this perceived failure, right? I'm, I'm going to make this error really, really loud for you. So that feedback that comes back to you is even more obvious. And now you can all of a sudden work on that reassessment to really correct what's going on. So there's this physical uh, aspect to it, 
But then I think on this, on this mental side, this mental aspect of it, it's um, okay. Well, what is my response to failure? Is it a habit loop where I don't do well and I all, all, all of a sudden uh, degrade myself, have negative self-talk, get down on myself, lose my confidence, or do I break my habit, have a little bit more awareness of what's going on in my brain and start to create a different habit loop? Um, I remember being in Alabama and it got to the point where we worked so hard on that failure recovery, that initial uh, response to failure was you hit a ground, someone hit a ground ball to you in practice, you make the errors off your shoulder. And it was like, all of a sudden we got excited because this was an opportunity to practice your failure recovery. It was like, it was this completely repositioning our perception of failure. And it's like, okay, now's the time to practice it. But here, you know, cause how important is, you know, everyone does, does well when they're succeeding, but those championship teams do well in, in all of a sudden where most people don't, where it's natural to not be at your best, you know? Yeah. Hit, you hit your shoulder, your left shoulder for those not watching and listening, Roger Dorn style. Major League. <laughs> I did. Did I tell you, I watched major league two, uh, I think it was last week. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I want to just say for the record to people listening that I think that is one of the biggest hunks of sh- piece, piece of shit movie <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Major League One was good, although there was some ridiculousness to it that it bordered on unrealistic. But Major League Two was completely unrealistic and a solid waste of two hours. And then you don't even want to talk about Major League Three. But that's what it reminded me of when you tapped your left shoulder like that. You just mm-hmm. right off the shoulder, Roger Doran style, trying to, you know, field ground balls. I can't mess up this base. Um, yeah, I like I like everything you said there. I, I wonder, I want to ask you about when, when it comes to hitting, how can we use video to further point out the fallacies of someone's swing. Again, this is part of the failure process, I would imagine, right? How can we use video properly that helps them with that reassessment and that feedback? Because when you're on video, we don't use failure all that much, but when we're on video and we see something we did wrong or we failed to do something, we don't really say it or frame it like that. Right. You know what? I struggle with video. Not every athlete response to video the same way so they're not so visual we, they're not not everybody's visual learners is what you're not saying. everyone's visual but and then some people are um and you'll know like you, you're going to be a parent or a coach and being like ah okay i know what you're talking about you have an athlete who you show an incorrect issue to and they get stuck in their head and they yeah. can't even if they do something well they are mm-hmm. so hyper focused on did it happen again I, I feel like i felt it again and it's it's almost video is detrimental because they're playing this negative over and over and over again, almost like they're perseverating over it in their head instead of accepting, okay, I see where that that's super helpful. I can see it. It's essentially like a mirror. I'm watching myself do it. Now I understand. And now I can correct it. That's great. But not every athlete is going to receive video in that same way. So I think sometimes the bigger challenge is getting to know your athlete and getting to know when is video going to help and when is it going to hinder um, our development. And I, as a coach, I certainly try to, uh, gauge where my athlete is at. But then honestly, as we get closer to season, I are in season, even I say, okay, trust me to evaluate the video and dictate the drills. Yeah. I want you watching the swings that you, you crush. I want you watching the things that you do really, really well, instead of overanalyzing the ones we don't. Yes. Yeah, so, and so you point out things that they're doing really well that you may say, okay, work on that or focus on that as a positive. You know, and this, and you're kind of alluding to what we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. That maybe there's a such thing as too much failure. Maybe there's a such thing as too much reassessing and too much reevaluation. 
Sure. I think, well, is it like hyper-focusing on failures, right? You know, they're extremely important. Um, You know, I had a coach say one time that their job is, you know, if if we're all treading water, their job is to try to give you as much weight as you can until right before you go under and then they want to save you. And the idea, you know, how much stress, how much stimulus can I apply to you? How much discomfort can I put you through in order for you to grow and get stronger and get better without making you drown with too much. And all of a sudden you're just completely discouraged by it. Because if, if we're, if let's say I give a drill that is way too challenging for an athlete and they're failing over and over and over again, they're going to basically be like, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to be successful at this drill. And now it's this like learned helplessness. You know, we want to try to find that sweet spot of success in that like 40, 50, maybe 60% success range where, they're still having to deal with a decent bit of not getting it right, working through it. How can I readjust and, and go from there? I guess I wonder, again, I found this, these three points on athletesonherd.com, resilience and toughness, reassessment and feedback, and a pathway to success. I just wonder, is failure or that constant failure, is that a real way to go about success? Or how do we balance doing the positives that we've done with the negatives and pointing out those failures. Because I don't know, pathway to success, I I agree with that. But again, there's only so much negative one athlete could take mentally. Right. And and you're going to have some athletes who can take a ton and some athletes who can't take it. And you'll notice – there's probably a reason they can't take it. And and they're, they're probably getting, you know, they might have a parent who hyper focuses. I used to have a teammate who could have gone three for four, but the parent would focus on that one at bat. They didn't get the hit. Hmm. So of course that's what the athlete's going to learn. And in their mind, they were, they failed that day. I have an, I had another teammate who could go over four, but if she hit the ball on the nose two times, she was like, yeah, okay. Like uh, I, I just hit her right at someone, no big deal. And that's a, Obviously, the one is going to lead to a little bit better long-term success, and even one is going to, you know, that that hyper-focus on failure is kind of this gateway to a little bit of potential mental health stuff in the future, right? When you're not thinking, no matter what you do, is good enough, right? Um, so it it is this this balance, and as coaches, we have to really get to know our athlete, really get to know uh, how you know you don't want to baby an athlete, but you you do want to try to gauge like how much can they actually handle, right? Like, but there is a conversation and and I've seen this meme and I'm almost positive. I've talked about it where it's an, it's two people, two stick figures sitting at a table. One is comfort. One is growth and comfort or growth looks at comfort and says, you know, you and me can't sit at the same table. Like, you know, you can't have both. If you're, if you're comfortable, if you go through an entire hitting session and you're like, I killed that. That was easy. I don't know if we really got better that day. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I guess the one thing I look at, with succeeding and, and failure. By the way, I do want to know what happened to that athlete that who had a parent who would always focus on the one out that they made after going three for four. They would have, you know what, they would have moments of like, they're supremely talented. They'd have moments where they would do really, really well. And then when they did bad though, they tanked and it was very hard for them to come out of it. And I guess that's kind of expected. And, and they had a very mediocre college career. And I don't think they touched softball after that. I think they were done, you know, which right. makes sense. It's, it's on, you know, I, I think, I think she's doing fine now, but at, at the time I just thought, dang, like this is one of the best girls on the team and she can't es- escape this criticism right now. Yeah. I, I guess because parents are listening to this and, and I'm sure they'll, they'll stumble upon this on the video side eventually. Any parent really of whether it's baseball or softball, I guess trying to balance out that because again, you have the knowledge of, of, 
coaching mentally, coaching physically, but a lot of parents don't. That's why they send their kids to someone like you or someone like your partner, someone that can teach them these things, both physically and mentally. I just wonder if how parents could learn from this and how parents could understand, Hey, there's a time to point out the failure, but then there's time also to be positive. And the time to be positive is when that player goes three for four and not over four, you know, and point out the positives of that. The example you brought up of that player going three for four. Sure. I think like, why not start the conversation with like, you know, if, if the athlete's ready to analyze that game, like, Hey, what went well today? Like mm-hmm. let's pick out. And then it's like, all right, what could we, what could we have done better? And what, what are we going to work on this week? I think those are really positive questions to ask or even positive questions to uh, journal about because there's always something to work on. Granted, you could go four for four and, and get jammed four times and have it barely go over into the outfield. Sure. You're four for four. That's, that's great. But there's probably a lot we need to work on if we're getting jammed four times in a, in a game, you know. Sure. So yeah. I think that's those are more positive questions to ask. They're more process oriented and process based instead of result oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, and we've talked about this again before is before even diving into the, the game, it's how'd you feel? Do you have fun? You know, how's everything else going? Like, let me let me address you as my daughter, as as a person first, and then we'll talk to you, talk about the athlete side. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, follow us on social media at Jim Tara and at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on uh, Twitter. And you could email us to Jimbo podcast 21 at gmail.com. If you do have any questions and that brings me to my, my next point, episode 27, talking about getting comfortable with failure. Is there such thing as too much failure? Is there such thing as, well, you know what, we're focusing way too much on the failure part and that growth part, it's like, I've, I i don't know if you've ever heard this, but people who like to write lists and have that OCD of constantly writing lists, they're over, over and over again writing lists, but they're not getting anything done. It's right. the same. I'm not saying it's the same thing as failure, <laughs> but when you constantly point out the failure and trying to get the athlete to succeed, you're not actually getting them to succeed. You're, you're giving them a negative mindset and putting them in the wrong frame of mind. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard this awful thing from a coach one time who was pretty hypercritical. He's like, well, if you kick a dog long enough, the dog thinks you're petting it. And I just, yeah. that's like such a horror. Oh my gosh. That's, you know, and, and whether, whether, you know, we, we definitely have generational differences, right? Like the way our society was 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, it was completely different than now. So yes, there is a completely different way generationally than you need to coach athletes. And typically athletes today and young, young people today do not respond the same way to criticism as they did forever ago. And and whether that's a social media thing for comparison or whatever that is. So there's all this research that comes out where, Hey, hyper-focusing on the negative, hyper-focusing on the failure is not positive anymore. How can we continue to get into a growth mindset where growth mindset being we've equipped the athlete with tools in order to handle failure. We have equipped the athlete with tools in order to progress themselves. And now they have a failure and it's you know, it's this newfound confidence, not this false confidence where they just don't think they're ever going to fail. It's this confidence in knowing they're going to fail and that they can still handle it. Um, and I think that is where we want to get to. It's it, it does us no good pointing out the wrong. I mean, any anybody on social media can go look at someone's swing and be like, well, they're doing this. That doesn't make you a great coach. That makes you really good at an I spy game, right? Like what's the difference <laughs> yeah. between these two? So for us as coaches, we need to really self, you know, what, working, you know, really pushing an athlete and working through failures one day is going to be very different for an athlete another day. Um, and, you know, for, for parents of females, 
Um, and for coaches of females, when that girl is on her period, she's not going to be able to handle failure the same way as she is in, in two weeks. It just isn't the case. Some people are going to be completely affected mood, emotionally, whatever that may be. And people can say like, oh, no big deal. It's it's a big deal for some athletes where they're just like, they're not in a good place hormonally. They're not in a good place physically. And all of a sudden you have a coach pointing out failure after failure, challenging them like crazy. And they're just not up for that at that time. Yeah, I think that that you mentioned the hormonal issues with with women. I shouldn't say issues. I, I apologize, but but you get my my gist. But there's also the social media aspect to it as well, where everybody compares themselves. Adults do, it. and this wasn't around when when you and I played. We're not all that old, but everybody does it now. Everybody compares themselves outside of sports to other people on social media. What they're doing on, especially Instagram. Instagram has mm -hmm. turned into what Facebook used to be, which was like awful you know everybody compare and it's, it's horrible for athletes in all sports because all they do is compare each compare each other to the next person and they compare this swing or they point out this swing over and over again and it's really it has the potential to create a very negative and toxic atmosphere and that's where i think coaches have to sort of and you know you would know better than me but sort of have to tell their athletes to kind of try and turn off the Instagram, turn off the social media, stop the comparing and focus on your goals and what you need to do because you get nowhere when you're being compared or you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Sure. That's the thief of joy, right? Like, yeah. cause, cause you could have, uh, right. So think about what's too much failure. You could go into a session, have a phenomenal session, the appropriate mm -hmm. amount of failure, learn these failure recovery tools, whatever. But your perception is that someone else is not failing like you are. And that, you know, in order to be the best, I can't, I feel way more consistent. I need to hit, you know, all of these balls on a, as a line drive, whatever it may be. And now no matter how good of a session you just had, you're never going to be happy with it, right? You're going to, you're going to view it as a failure. So how, how positive is that? Um, yeah, I, it, it is, I, I, I've mentioned, I don't, I don't envy, I do not envy the social media craze that my that my athletes have to deal with but i do think athletes are starting to become a little bit more aware of what's healthy and unhealthy social media habits um i think people in general are and and i had an athlete one day say you know what i am just shutting it down for a little bit I, I need to you know i just found myself non-stop going to it and she's like i just need to shut it down so yeah i mean sometimes we just need a little social media cleanse i guess just to yeah a little bit <laughs> well if you're not on the social media cleanse again you can follow us at jim tara and at coach underscore cassie rb on instagram at coach cassie rb mm -hmm. on twitter yeah it's it's really a shame what athletes have to have to go through when it when it comes to comparison you know again you mentioned the, the, the thief of joy and and high schoolers now having to to um, see their their classmates or, or people that they may compete against at other schools getting these these recruiting trips and I don't know what whatever I, I, again I'm not in that age bracket anymore I don't know what teenagers and and what young adults 18 to 22 say are posting on Instagram you know when it comes to athletics but I, it, it does affect your training because you're comparing mm -hmm. and that's that's in your mind and you're not focusing on yourself and that singularity focus of trying to get better Sure. It takes away from your intent. It takes away from yeah. just your ability to, to just be like, okay, this is exactly where I am right now. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing everything I can to get one day better today. And that's it. Instead, we're thinking, well, I should be here. And when all of a sudden that, you know, where I currently am and where I think I should be gets further and further away, we just fill the middle with anxiety and doubt. And, you know, it, it just even, even, especially when people get hurt, I have athletes who get hurt who like are scrolling through and being like, Oh, all these people are getting weeks ahead of me. 
And instead, you know, the obstacle is the way where you currently are is exactly where you should be. There's all these other things you could be working on that they are missing out on. They don't even get a chance to miss the game, right? You know, you, you get to miss the game when you're hurt. You get to rehab certain things. You get to work on the mental game. Anyway, uh, I wish every athlete one catastrophic failure at least because it becomes your greatest superpower. That like bulletproof confidence afterwards is just insane. So I think it's, a, I think it turns into this positive. You just got to wait for it to come around. <laughs> okay. So what is that one? What's an example of the hmm. one catastrophic failure that uh, can really grow from? Well, I can, I can give from personal example. Mm -hmm. I left my town team, went to go play for a national team and was so outmatched at first base. I mean, I couldn't even catch balls were just hitting me right in the chest, left and right. right as a first baseman. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, I think I sat the bench that entire season. Um, and then it finally clicked like nine months later. And then even in, in college, I think I, there was like an O for something slump that it just forces you to like sit back one you're appreciating the times you are doing well it's forcing you to work on certain things and then when it does finally click you're like damn this i needed this and 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 after that after you come out of something like that you're like all right this is not so bad i already rocked this that one time i got i got everything else now <laughs> yeah that's right that's right mm -hmm. i think you you've told that story too on, yes. on mm -hmm. podcast earlier episodes about the time when you were what 14, 15, maybe around that time. Right? Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I was batting yeah. like 130 something, 140 something. I couldn't see the ball. I mean, I, I felt like the girl would start her motion and then the catcher would catch it. I was just so outmatched. Yeah. It took, I mean, but I kept working. That's the other thing, too. I was like, all right, well, this has to pay off at some point. <laughs> what was your mental process like throughout that failure? Uh, the beginning, it, it was horrible. If anything, how did you bounce like, back? That was. Thanks to my parents. They, I remember my mom reached out to a somebody who was mental performance coach or sent a packet. And I just started going through some of the worksheets and um, I had thankfully had a hitting coach that introduced me to someone else who it was just nonstop month upon month of me just buying into the process and not getting overly concerned with the results. So even if I tanked on a weekend, I'd go back to work Monday and I'd be like, okay, I, I got to figure something else out for this weekend tank again, I, it, you know, and, and I wasn't getting discouraged, I think, because I was working so hard on the mental game with my coaches and with with my mentors. Um, and I had the support of my parents, I didn't have parents coming home and being like, you know, why aren't you doing well, I think they saw the work I was putting in, and they just kept saying it's going to click one day, it's going to click. And shoot, I went to nationals and probably had the best performance I've ever had against really great pitching. And then that whole next fall, I got recruited. Yeah. So. And that was right. So that was at a time when, when you were on that national team, there's a lesson for everybody. You were what a sophomore around that time yep. and recruiting season was, I mean, it was coming down the pike. It was mm -hmm. coming quick. And so you really bounced back from failure. So that's kind of a good blueprint on how to actually use failure as, as that leverage point to succeed going forward. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, when I got to college too, I was, you know, I was playing with some of the best of the best and I started realizing yeah a lot of my teammates had never slumped before, had never failed. And they started going through slumps in college and they were like, how do I deal with this? How do I handle it? Whereas I had already gone through that process and I was able to, you know, if I started to slump a little bit or fail a little bit, I was able to circumvent my, my recovery process so much faster. Cause again, you've practiced it, you've gone through it, you know, how to, what works, what doesn't work already. And they were kind of consumed by the pressure of being at college. Oh my gosh, I've never failed before. And it was, it was eye opening. It was again, Holy cow, this is look at the superpower I have now. Yeah. So as we wrap up today's episode, I do want to ask just kind of a broad question. 
for athletes, the evolution through failure, how do they go about that evolution properly to get to the other side of success? Sure. You know, the, the whole idea of, okay, can we get comfortable with being uncomfortable? Can we get comfortable with failing? Can we like reposition it and view this as, okay, I'm struggling. Let me reset. Let me practice my failure recovery, whether that's becoming aware of my negative thoughts or, or what's happening to me when I do fail. Do I start to get nervous? Do I start to get wide-eyed? How do I, how do I reset? Um, how do I break that habit loop of this detrimental effects of failure? Once you can start to reposition it and become aware of yourself, then all of a sudden it doesn't, you, you don't really call it failures anymore, right? It looks and feels very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then after that, it's, it's talking with coaches and talking with parents and, and finding that sweet spot of how am I going to challenge myself enough to use failure as this positive, right? How do, how can I get these challenges so I can get stronger, get faster, get more powerful, whatever it may be. Um, and then you have that, you have that blueprint and it, I'll tell you what, after you overcome a failure, even if it's a small one in a cage during a session, I would write a letter to yourself, your future fail, your future self that's going to fail. <laughs> hey, yeah. this is what worked. This is what does not work. And this is what you're going to do next time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the the fact that you that you used to write letters and that you bring that up as, as something that could be <laughs> pretty imperative to your training. Hey, let's write a letter to your future self and your future self reads that. I would I would do that, but I would feel kind of like I don't know. I'm not an athlete anymore. Maybe I never was, but I, but I would feel like, Hey, here's your failure today. I look back on it five years from now, but they like, cares, you know, because I mean, you know, being an athlete, writing down your failures and, you know, for your future self to see, that's what's the most important thing in your life. But if I, anyway, um, episode 27, getting comfortable with failure next week. Good stuff this week. Um, a lot of February, a lot of March into March, but a lot of February, we're going to be discussing a lot more hitting mm -hmm. as we get closer to the college baseball, college softball season. And of course the major league baseball season. And next week we are unveiling, I think we've touched on it before on a previous episode, but we're unveiling your pyramid of hitting and we're yes. going to really go through that right. and i can see the smile and the gleam <laughs> in your eye that you are very excited to talk about that mm -hmm. next week oh. i am too because we had my four pillars of hitting but now we're going to put it into pyramid form and cassie's going to unveil her very smart and very um detailed pyramid and and again we're going to talk about it it's not going to be made available though online. I don't think it is, right? I want to make sure. So no, it, I mean, shoot, my entire online? drill library is based off of that, and okay. so I have an entire beginning section where I explain how this drill library operates. And if you look at the pyramid and you're like, "Hey, I need to work on this part of the mechanics," there you can basically go right to that and find those mechanical progressions right there. So yeah, so it is, it is online, but it's vital. In, but this is vital information. <laughs> and then yes, there are some things that you parents don't to, understand. You would have to purchase something to get that information. This is this is free. Okay. So, well, we're going to discuss it next week and go into yep. every every part of that pyramid and break it down. That'll be a lot of fun. So again, a lot of March, or excuse me, a lot of February into March, we'll be talking a lot about hitting. So it's busy season at work. I I see. Oh yes. In, in office, what what do you got going on here as we go into February, getting athletes ready for their season, baseball and softball. Yeah. Yeah. So the entire four weeks of February, we'll have uh, our building is busy from about uh, we have our professional athletes in from nine to 12 and then they leave. And then from 2.45 to 9.45 p.m., we have our athletes in the building seven, seven days a week now. So Saturday is wow. just winding down the building open around seven. Um, we'll have a couple teams rent the rest of the day. And then tomorrow is 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
So our coaches are working. <laughs> so you'll be there tomorrow, Sunday. Is this nope, I get Sundays off. Oh, you get Sundays staying, off. I'm staying home on Sunday. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then you're you're there Monday through Saturday. Correct. Yes. Softball Strength Academy. Yes. <laughs> For those who don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everybody should go visit again. SoftballStrengthAcademy.com. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. they should, you know. And they check out the drill library and then they can check out the pyramid and they can get themselves ready for next week's episode. That's right. Cassie's pyramid of <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you everybody for listening, watching, and again, subscribe um, on both YouTube, the video side and Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., on the audio side. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.